The title for today's talk is Healing the Body Politic. Now, you, you may or may not be familiar with this expression, the body politic. It's an expression that's used to refer to organized society, to the community we live in, the collective we live in. It's, it's an interesting, valuable expression uh, in the context of this talk because it implies a parallel, a comparison between the political and social structure on the one hand and the functioning of the body on the other. In other words, a comparison between individuals in society with the cells in the body, in the physical body. Now, the interest for me today is in the healing, in how to heal it. And so, the comparison that I will emphasize is a comparison in the ways the two can be healed. The physical body, on the one hand, the political body, or body politic, on the other. But before looking into the healing, let's take some time and look at the illnesses that affect the body politic. The illnesses can be, come, say, from the top of the system. They have contributions from the bottom of the system. And of course, sometimes they come from outside the system by, say, invasion. Let me take these three aspects in turn. Indeed, the most common affliction, the most common problem with the body politic comes, is initiated by those in position of power from the top. Those who are ready to abuse of it for their own benefit, to increase the power, to increase the wealth. Once the moral restraint is abandoned, there is no limit to the misdeeds that become possible. And unfortunately, we, nowadays we seem to have quite a lot of illustrations. And these misdeeds, these abuses, extend from the economic sphere to the environmental sphere, from the political positioning to the military activity. It is really hardly necessary to go down the list. We know it only too well. And the motivations are essentially, to use just one word, greed. 
because of greed, there seems to be no hesitation to go to war or to destroy the fabric of the society. The justification of these misdeeds is so flimsy, so ridiculous, so transparently false, that we may wonder, why do so many of us, perhaps not in this room, but elsewhere, fall for it? I'm afraid the answer to that question is, is simple. And that simple answer is that it's because in some way the, that justification for, say, the war is coached in terms that appeal, that hook up with our own greed, our own ego. Here's something from a, a former correspondent of the New York, Time called, New York Times called Chris Hedges. He wrote a book. In fact, the title of the book says it all. The book is War is a Force that Gives Us Meaning. And here's some of what he says in the introduction. The enduring attraction of war is this. Even with its destruction and carnage, it can give us what we long for in life. It can give us purpose, meaning a reason for living. Goes on to say, war is an enticing elixir. It gives us resolve, a cause, it allows us to be noble, or at least I would say to feel that we are noble. And those who have the least meaning in their life, they impoverish refugees in Gaza, they disenfranchise North African immigrants in France. Even the legions of young men who live in the splendid indolence and safety of the industrial world are all uh, susceptible to war's appeal. So this uh, war that gives us meaning becomes part and parcel of the fabrication of I, of our ego, the cult of I. But I like to, to call the theology of I, or the I-theology, I-theology, as it hooks up with the ideology of, of war, of bellicosity, of jingoism. There's, there's a, a compatibility there. And this I-theology hooks up just as well as we were discussing yesterday in the inquiry with racism, sexism, and any kind of 
I'm better than you ideology. So there's a, the illnesses that come from the top, our contribution from the bottom to those illnesses, and then, of course, uh, the illnesses that come from the outside. This is uh, much too obvious. This is an invasion, like uh, the whole history of colonial powers uh, invading other countries or, or Iraq today. So, so much for the afflictions. But what really interests us now is how to cure them, how to treat them. And so here I, I'm going to draw a parallel with the treatments available for the physical body. For the physical body, there are two major approaches available. One comes from the prevailing medical model and focuses on what the medical profession does best. To operate, that is, to surgery, cut up, to medicate, or to irradiate. Those are three major tools which are effective and, 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 and well, well used, indeed, in order to eradicate a particular condition. The other, the more holistic and complementary approach, requires primarily finding ways of helping the body help itself. Let me look at these two approaches in succession as regard to both the medical situation and the body politic. The one, one of the problems with the medical model is that we have really no choice but to delegate authority on somebody else on a specialist, particularly. It's a specialist who defines our condition and prescribes the treatment. In, in conjunction, I must say, with a pharmaceutical establishment, which does all the drug research. We, we are helpless, helpless to intervene there. Uh, fortunately, we are protected by, by the nobility of the medical profession, at least the majority of it, and in fact, by the abiding by the Hippocratic Oath. Any physician, to, to become a physician, to be able to look at patients, has to take the oath to look after their interests. And unfortunately, the pharmaceutical companies don't have to do that. And of course, I mean, they're, they're well-trained, they're competent, 
hopefully at least. What about the body politic? There are indeed problems with this model, with the body politic, because we have no choice but to delegate authority in the profession of specialists, the politicians. By the way, don't even take anything close to a Hippocratic oath, you know. The, it's true that they swear to abide by the Constitution, but there's a, as we have seen, there's plenty of loopholes in this oath. And, uh, and even worse, although it may, be, it may be a good idea to think about this, they're not susceptible to malpractice suits, you know. <laughs> Boy, politics would be so much better if we could sue the politicians for all the laws and, um, and death and pain they inflict. And, and then, you know, if, if we focus all our attention, as we tend to do, in removing one politician and replacing it by another, what's the guarantee that uh, the other is going to be much better. And so, I want now to draw our attention to the possibilities of using the healing model. That is, finding ways to help the body politic heal itself. Let me spend a, a little time first in looking at how this is done with the physical body. And of course, in, in no way am I saying that the healing model replaces the medical model in the physical body, but they both are complementary. The, the medical model is much better to deal with specific situations after they present themselves. But the healing model is focused on creating conditions so that the body either doesn't fall into that condition or onto any other ill condition or having been in that situation can recuperate. We are equipped with an amazing array of self-healing mechanisms. Some are very obvious, and I'll mention them in a moment. But the interesting thing is that most of them we haven't got a clue about, you know. We haven't got a clue. We still have a lot, a lot to learn about. But of the mechanisms that we know, there's the immune system. There's a DNA repair system which repairs mutations. There's a wound healing system. That any of us knows when they, you get a cut, it magically fixes itself. And then something that's beginning to be investigated nowadays, this incredible power of stem cells, which can come in and 
and do what needs to be done. All this, of course, requires that we follow a healthy lifestyle, and then this mechanism will kick in whenever they need to. I'm not saying they're always successful, but the job is incredible. You know, for every infection that gets a foothold in our body, there are umpteen others which we never know about because they were done away with by the immune system. For every malignant tumor that spreads, there are umpteen others that are forestalled by the DNA repair mechanism or stopped by the immune system. Much the same self-healing happens already with our body politic. Although our attention is so focused up there on the elections, who's going to be the next president or whatever, um, and, and it's right to, to focus on that too, the most significant events occur under the radar that only looks at those in power. Before going on in this parallel between body politic and, and body, I just want to point out, so I don't contradict uh, uh, your, your sense of things, that th there is a difference, a difference in degree only, I would say, between the, the structure of the, of the body physical and the structure of the body politic. In the physical body, most cells are specialized and are uh, stuck onto or uh, assigned to, that's a better word, assigned to a specific role. They keep doing it and doing it and doing liver cell and whatever, saliva cell and so on. They do the thing. And in our lives, we also have uh, jobs. And, but there's a greater flexibility in that. And of course, many of us, too, are freelance, so they have, we have a tremendous flexibility there. In highlighting this difference, I'm skipping something very important that for understandable reasons has not been well studied, and um, which is the role of stem cells. Stem cells are really the freelance cells of the body. It's, we know very little about them. I'm, I'm sure we're going to be amazed when this story starts unfolding. Um, as perhaps you know, stem cells are plentiful in the early embryos. But what's been increasingly discovered is that they are also quite abundant in the body at large. So you can think of the body politic as a body that has a, a, a good 
proportion of stem cells. And then, yes, let's think of ourselves as stem cells. Talking about the body politic, let me share with you a quote that's, uh, I think, quite uh, well known by many, but perhaps not by all. It's a, a quote from a priest uh, who lived in Nazi Germany by the name of Martin Niemöller. This is what he wrote. about Nazi Germany, of course. First, they came for the communists, but I was not a communist, so I did not speak out. Then they came for the socialists and trade unionists, but I was neither, so I did not speak out. Then they came for the Jews, but I was not a Jew, so I did not speak out. And when they came for me, there was not anyone left to speak out for me. This I, I find a tremendously powerful call for solidarity. A call asking us all to volunteer to be the immune system of the body politic. To protect other segments of the body politic from abuse. Seeing abuse against one, same as abuse against all. Same philosophy of the immune system. You know, one doesn't have to go all the way to Nazi Germany to, to have a little bit of sense of this uh, um, trying to, to be separated from the rest. I've been noticing in myself in the last uh, few months or year, perhaps, with all this anti-immigrant raids that have been, are taking place. You know, I say, well, it's not about me. It's true I'm an immigrant. I came here a quarter of a century ago. In fact, no, I'm, I'm a, 40, 40 years, yeah. But I'm a citizen, sorry, for a quarter of a century, that's it. And so, I would argue it's not about me. I, I mean, I'd say all the right things. I'm saying all the right things. But, but there's a little bit of me that says it's not about me. And I, it, it's interesting to notice it and, and watch out for it. Lest I end up like Martin Niemöller regretting it all. If the cells of the immune system were to wait till they are attacked, oh boy, 
hopeless. Now, talking about the immune system, a key feature of the immune system is that it can distinguish between an invading agent and its own, the cells of its own body. This capacity is called immunotolerance. And the breakdown of this capacity is called autoimmune disease and is devastating. Situation is similar in the body politic. Our ability to resist invasion relies very fundamentally on tolerating our own diversity, embracing our own diversity. And then, of course, sometimes things go so wrong that autoimmune political disease develops, and that's exactly what's happening in Iraq today, with a breakdown of the system. They are, they are not only killing the occupier, but killing each other. For us in the body politic, it's not only important to, to avoid breakdown of immune tolerance, but actually to engage in our activity in a way that is, cannot possibly backfire. And I'm talking about a nonviolent way. That's the way how we don't, we're not vulnerable to breakdown of tolerance. Systems like the ones developed, of course, as you know very well, by Gandhi, by Nelson Mandela, by Martin Luther King, systems based not on hate, but on love. This is what Martin, Martin Luther King says about uh, the power of confronting with love. This is from a speech he made in 1967. Power, properly understood, is nothing but the ability to achieve purpose. And one of the great problems of history is that the concepts of love and power have usually been contrasted as opposites, polar opposites, so that love is identified with resignation of power and power with a denial of love. We've got to get this thing right. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive. And love without power is sentimental and anemic. 
Power as its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. It is precisely the collision of immoral power with powerless morality which constitutes the major crisis of our time. Yeah. I have to say, Amen. Mm. And of course, uh, just to go back on my beloved stem cells in, in our physical bodies, they epitomize this. Love is doing something for others and, and doing it effectively and, and powerfully. Doing, you know, they, they are quiescent when there's no, nothing to be done. They just multiply. At times, times don't even multiply. And then when the job appears, they move on and exercise the power to do it. I, I find great inspiration from the way I see these cells working. Inspiration for looking at the body politic. Uh, the need that we engage in interpreting over and over again the fabric of society, the tissue of the body politic, in the ways that are available to us, in the ways that are immediately in our surroundings. And yes, to get creative about that. Sometimes art can play a role there, whatever. One more hint from the physical body to the body politic. Physical body knows very well, looking at the physical body, we know very well that growth has to be paced, has to remain appropriate. Without such vigilance, and unfortunately sometimes in spite of it, malignant cells spring up, proliferate, take over, destroy the fabric of the body, ravaging it all. So the body has developed some systems of vigilance for that, and uh, we understand some, not others. Likewise, we must be very vigilant in our physical body, vigilant about economic development. You see, somehow we seem to have some systems of check and balance in the political structure at the top. I'm, I'm glad we do, certainly. Um, but we don't seem to have any system of checks and balances insofar as economic growth. In fact, we are constantly trying to grow as fast as possible. And this is erroneously supposed to mean prosperity for all. In fact, what it's doing is just the opposite, is ravaging our planet. 
warming it beyond repair unless we do something about it. And of course, again, there have been many voices, very, very important voices of vigilance, of watching, of calling attention to this and trying to do something about it. There was, of course, a, a E.F. Schumacher in the 70s, uh, some of you may have known about him, or others not. Uh, he was famous for a book called Small is Beautiful. Subtitled Economics as if People Mattered. And then there's a vast uh, ecological and environmental movement. I know some of you are part of that. And, and these voices of healing alert us and, and sometimes do something about try to make growth appropriate to the circumstances before it overcomes the whole planet. So in all of this, of course, it's, it's very important to know what needs to be done. In general, I do fall back on the stem cell role, that is, the need for each one of us to look around and see what we can do. Some of you in this room, room are teachers, for instance. What an incredible place to play this role. You know, just around you, the cells, that is, uh, children around you, help them understand. Others are parents. Oh, wow. What a challenge. And what the possibilities. And then there's people who are journalists, uh, freelance or otherwise. Their role is essential. It's important because we, we cannot just be looking at our, uh, given the way the world is organized, we cannot be looking just as the immediacy around us. We need to have access to what happens at the other end of the world. And of course, uh, uh, the climate of the whole world as well concerns us very seriously. And for that, we depend on this uh, wave of independent journalism that's blossoming. It's incredible. It's so beautiful. Um, this TV, satellite TV, has some, some extraordinary channels. I'm trying not to put a plug for Amy Goodman in doing that, so I won't put a plug for Amy Goodman. <laughs> but it's not just her. There's an internet, of course, with all the richness and plurality, and an and, and ability to take pictures, even your cell phones of things that happen and document them and, 
and let others know. It, it's going to be very difficult to stop us, you know. And so, in doing that, we need to do all this, being in contact with our immediate surroundings, and also being connected with the planet as a whole. You know, I'm very touched by what the Buddha did on the night of his enlightenment. He was working very hard at freeing his mind from all the stuff that had been stirred up, was still bubbling up. Um, of course, the, the narrative for this is a story about Mara, the, the sort of um, devil equivalent in Buddhism, bringing his armies and fighting him. But, but that really uh, represents is what happened in his mind. And in all of that, his last action before enlightenment was to bring his hand down and touch the earth and emphasize his connection with the earth. I, I find that for myself. Not necessarily with that gesture. He chose that gesture. That's, of course, a legend. And there are plenty of statues and so on documenting that gesture. But I'm, I'm touched by the possibility of, in my heart, feeling directly that connectedness with the earth, which was clearly, that's I understand, what the Buddha as I read the Buddha's gesture, what the Buddha was signifying. So, it's by connecting with ourselves, by connecting with each other in this room, to also connect with our planet. Let's sit in silence for a couple of minutes, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.